Hello, I'm Rebecca Horan and a very warm welcome to A Little Birdie Told Me, a podcast brought to you by Rollercoaster.ie. In this season, I will sit down and chat to 16 pretty interesting people to discuss pregnancy, parenting and everything in between. On this week's episode, I speak to Rene von Medding. Rene is CEO for Equality for Children, LGBTQ+, and parenting advocate and a wedding celebrant. She's also a mum to two girls and is currently documenting her pregnancy journey on Instagram. I'm really thrilled to be speaking to this woman today. I've been following her on Instagram, one of these um, friends that you think is your bestie because you follow them on Instagram (laughs) and follow their story with glee. And when I had the opportunity to bring her in, I was thrilled. So welcome, Rene Von Medding. Yes, thank you. Um, CEO of Equality for Children, um, LGBTQ advocate um, for parental and family rights in this country and has done incredible work there. Um, I feel like MC, singer, dancer, (laughs) um, mom of two, lover, just the most incredible woman and also um, has recovered from eating disorder, type one diabetic, discusses all of these things and more on her Instagram. So welcome. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. Your name is funky. It's the most (laughs) wonderful name. Can you tell me a little bit about that name? Uh, Well, Renee is Greek. I have no idea where the Greek connection is from. We're originally from the States, but we moved here when I was four. Um, But yeah, the name, the name Renee is Greek. And we always called on my dad's side, we called um, the grandparents uh, Yaya and Papu, which is also Greek uh, for grandma and grandpa. Um, And von Medin is, I suppose, a a mix of Dutch Dutch and German. Yes, yes. My my Uh, husband's South African, so he's got a lot of von friends. Okay. Um, Because Rene is usually Ori and... E-E, so I'm always yeah. like, how is that pronounced? Okay, yeah. so Rene. Okay, perfect. Now, you have a wonderful wife. I do. Uh, I do. Audrey. I do. And two beautiful girls. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of exciting things to touch on today, but I think it, it all kind of starts, and it doesn't all start with Audrey, but it starts with this wonderful person that you are with all this passion in your heart and the soul, and then this connection with mm. Audrey. Can you tell me a bit about that? So yeah, Audrey and I... Um, our actually our 15 year anniversary wow. is coming up this year, which long. is crazy. Yeah, I know I feel crazy. like I'm still 20, but I'm not. I'll be I'll be 36 later right. this year. Still very young. Um, but it, that's just crazy to me to think that like we've been together for a decade and a half. Um, we met in college. We were both studying to be actors. Okay. And I was in first year. Audrey was in fourth year, and we just sparked this connection. And up until that point, you know, I was raised in a super religious um, household. That's a whole other podcast. Wow, that is a a whole other podcast. (laughs) But I had always just thought that my life would be grow up, get married to a Christian man, have lots of babies, be a good housewife. I just thought that that was what was in the cards for me. And so I had never even thought about dating a woman before. Um, It hadn't happened. It had always been boys, men. And when I met Audrey, something sparked and I didn't realize what it was. I didn't know it was attraction at first, but I knew I was drawn to this person. And looking back, you know, before that, I know I obviously had lots of crushes on lots of different people, but I didn't understand what that was. So with Audrey, we became very fast friends. You know, the sort of friends who like make each other lunch. Like attached to the hip friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people didn't get it. People thought it was weird. This young, like I was much more eager to please. I'm still, I'm like a recovering people pleaser now. Where were you studying together? Sorry. At Bolali Theatre Training Company in in town. And um, so I was very, I was a real people people pleaser back then. 
then and Audrey was from Ballyfermot and the complete opposite <laughs> like so complete opposite and people just couldn't understand why we were friends and more so for Audrey they're like what are you doing with your one yeah. like she's a nutcase <laughs> and um but we just we just got on so well and we we're really close for the guts of a year and she she knows that she immediately knew she liked me yeah. but she never said anything because she didn't want to jeopardize the friendship and it was actually me who made the first move wow. um right around my 21st birthday uh we we had been like spending weekends together mm-hmm. i'd stay over at but her it place it never occurred to you no. it was a falling in love situation no. it never occurred no. to you regarding maybe sex or anything it was all just this no. friendship and passion for each other yeah it was we just all fall in love with our friends when yeah. we love our friends yeah um and i just wanted to be around her yeah. all the time i wanted to spend nights with her and you know but i just never thought that it could be anything more than that and it was actually after a night out I, like i remember it so vividly it's like one of the only moments in my life that i just remember so clearly of having this sudden realization and being struck and we were lying in bed in her bed head to toe as you do with your friends on a sleepover Besties, yeah and i just got struck by this need to kiss her yeah. you fancied and her I, you didn't I've realize ne- I, i've never kissed a girl before and you know all of these thoughts are going in my head i'm probably still half drunk mm-hmm. and I just couldn't go to sleep because I just, and she knew and I was tossing and turning and finally she was getting really annoyed at me and she's like, what's wrong with you? Because you were, did you speak, did you say to her? I didn't say to her, not not yet, but I was just, there was clearly something wrong with me. And she she kept being like, what's wrong with you? Like, go to sleep. And finally I somehow (laughs) managed to cobble together a sentence of, I, I sort of want to kiss you. And then the longest pause ever in oh, the history was, of long pauses. That was mean, Audrey, <laughs> if you're listening, that was mean. Oh my gosh. She, um, she just, and I think she was just kind of trying to like, is this a for real thing or is this a drunken thing? And just, you know, if we cross this line, you know, there's no going back. Yeah. Um, and eventually she kind of leaned in and pulled back it was like this whole thing like I'm probably making more of it in my head than what it was but eventually we kissed and then it it just felt right fireworks yeah or strange for you or different or just just perfect just perfect just not just like it was meant to be be. you know it just it felt right you know um and then you know obviously we're 15 years later now but the weeks and months after that were, were difficult because it was really exciting, mm. but we didn't tell anyone. It okay. was a big secret. Um, but that was difficult because for me, as I said, I always thought that my life would be so different. And immediately it's like, oh my God, my life is gonna look very different. So Audrey knew what she wanted mm-hmm. from life. She was in a different zone mm-hmm. and, and you were battling maybe what you were meant yeah. to be doing. And was it that you were concerned about what others thought or were you concerned that you were making a bad choice? What was the actual worry for you? I wasn't concerned about what society at yeah. large or like my, my my circle of friends, because obviously I was I was training to be an actor. Yeah. So the majority of my friends or were whatever. career, yeah. you know, mm. um, it was more so with familial kind of sure. obligation okay. and like my mom and what what she would think. Um, so my dad actually passed away when I was two okay. of cancer. So my mom raised us as a single parent. Wow. She remarried when I was 13 um, to a man that I never got on with. 
And so it was a kind of complicated family situation already. And I had a very, at the time, very codependent relationship with my mom, not oh, necessarily gosh. healthy. Okay. Okay. Um, so to know that she was going to react very, very badly to this. And, you know, for for both of us really to to make that decision very early on of we know we're going to have to get through a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. for this to ever be okay with everyone Um, and to have to decide like this is going to be really, really hard. Is it worth it? Isn't that such a pity that you have this huge connection with someone? They change how you feel about Mm. the world. They brighten up your world. And yet you're dealing with all of the kind of adversaries and opinion. Mm. And isn't it really sad that actually, um, and I was thinking about it the other day, like same sex or hetero relationships, there's never that question about how they have sex or (laughs) what sex they favor or uh, sex just isn't even brought in. It's like this absolute mainstream given. And the battle is usually like whether they like the guy or the girl or not. But there's never really that drama. And isn't it such a pity that that seems to still be the narrative? Not as much. Yeah. But isn't it so sad? And maybe it makes that love even stronger. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I I certainly think for us it's made us stronger. I mean, Audrey tried to break up with me so many times, not because she didn't love me, but because because she didn't want me to have to go through this hardship. How did your mom react? Very badly. Okay. Very, very badly. Yeah, for years it was terrible. And I won't sugarcoat that. It was terrible. Every time I saw her, she cried. Every time I saw her, she would try to quote Bible verses at me. And, um, you know, it it was awful. What I will say is fast forward to 15 years later, and my mom is one of the closest people to our children. Oh my gosh. Who babysits for them while we go to like a hotel night away. Um, There's been a lot of change, a lot of growth. If you asked her, do you think that their marriage is right? Or do you think their relationship is right? She would still tell you, no, she doesn't. Okay. So she hasn't changed her beliefs, but she has, I, I suppose, has opened herself up enough to know she loves you both she loves us both yeah and i know she loves audrey yes and she loves our children and she loves our family and she respects us as parents but that was a lot of therapy for me (laughs) a lot of boundary setting a lot of sticking to my guns and knowing what my worth was and it didn't just happen but it is possible go Um, you like what a road to finding love and it's some people never find their person and you could have rejected that feeling and said you know what <clears throat> it's fine it was a drunken thing Audrey and you could have married some man some random guy yeah and settled for yeah. your life to be beige and isn't it incredible you didn't yeah. and why well go you because that is not like it's easy to say in a podcast in a few minutes that was then and this is now, but it's not. Those in-between bits are dirty, messy, horrible and traumatic. It was so, very well messy. Done. A lot of making messy. making it to 15 <laughs> yeah. years, you know. Thank you. And you're the most gorgeous pair. Like, you know, every couple, no couple is perfect, but just the support and the crack that you get out of life <laughs> and each other is so important because yeah. then we lose a bit of that. Yeah. Um, so Audrey is your love story, but you're also saying that she's brought you through the things that you're doing now. Mm. How so? Acting, what happened? What happened? So what happened with acting? Um, I mean, I'll always be an actor at heart and a, and a singer. <laughs> I never shut up. Um, so I suppose early on, we had talked about having kids. Okay. And early this is on. early on. Okay. You know, I don't I don't remember there ever being a point where we were like, 
do you want kids? Do you want kids? It was just a given. We both wow. wanted kids. Uh, she comes from a family of eight kids. I have, I'm the youngest of four, millions of nieces and nephews. We're both really good with kids. Okay. Um, I'm great with kids, but Audrey is like the Pied Piper. It's like my husband. Yeah. Like kids yeah. f- gravitate towards yeah. her, all kids. You know, I've seen kids who won't crack a smile at anyone and two seconds with Audrey and she's got them in Wrapped. fits and the parents are like, oh my God, how do you do that? Um, so it was never, would we have kids? It was when. Um, and Audrey at that stage had started working in stage management. Any Anyone in the theater industry knows that that is a more stable job than acting. Okay. So she was kind of in constant employment, whereas I was just trying to take any little bits that were thrown mm-hmm. to me. Um, you mentioned earlier also that, you know, I'm recovered from an eating yeah. disorder. I was also going through that. Um, so, I didn't know that. So from mm, childhood or just in your 20s? Like, when did it start? 16. 16, okay. So 16, and it was on and off till I was 26. So about 10 years. Uh, when I first met Audrey, I was in a really good place. And for the first couple of years, I was in a really good place. And it's all, you know, it's all Ebbs kind of... and flows. Yeah, and, and it's all kind of linked back, I think, a lot to my childhood and and how I was raised and the religion and you know not being accepted when I told Mm -hmm. my mom who Mm -hmm. I was in love with you know it's all to do with like your life feeling out of control Control, and you know so we actually had like a medical um, emergency in the family when I was 24 and that really triggered it so I had about a year of you know, being not not being on the point of death, but it was kind of when I was about 25, it was I had to make a choice of whether I wanted to live or I wanted to die. It was to that point. It was very, very bad. Um, so during that time, I, I was doing bits and pieces of work, um, but I wasn't really working. I wasn't really living or, you know, engaging with my life. Yeah. Um, I decided I wanted to get better. I decided, you know, we knew we wanted to have kids and I How knew. How did Audrey, yeah. as, the obser- <clears throat> as the observer, I mean, she loves you dearly and she is watching this woman harm herself without, you know, without meaning to. This is an illness and it's really sad and it's it, it's a blight, really. Um, and there's so many boys and girls and men and women and dealing with at the moment in this country but how did she cope with that was she good at supporting you or did she find that really hard because she can make you angry if you don't understand the reasons um and I don't know whether it for you was bulimia or anorexia or how it appeared it was kind kind of a a combination of both um she was incredible okay at the time and you know I I wouldn't have gotten through it without her she she was amazing um but the repercussions of that went on for years and you mentioned the word anger Mm. there was a lot of residual anger even if after I got better and even up until the last couple of years you know I'm coming up on 10 years of recovery congratulations thank you oh my gosh um and it's taken up until like the last couple of years for Audrey to really be able to work through that residual anger of what I put her through, even though it was a mental illness um, and I wasn't knowingly putting her through this. Um, but there was, a, there was a lot of anger at the illness. Sure. And what and it does me. to the person yeah. and the relationship. Yeah. 
like any resentment in a relationship if, if it isn't really dealt with it's just mm. hovers yeah um, and we, she we yeah yeah that. and she could never really deal with it at the time because no. it was like she's my in life emergency was in mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and it was just we need to get Renee better um that's the problem these things yeah. creep up they creep up in a relationship you don't know it and then someone says something in an argument you're like why are you cross about that and then it becomes a thing so it's very hard um, she sounds very special, but so are you. I mean, what a lot of stuff to... We, like, honestly, people wouldn't believe half the stuff. you got to write a movie. <laughs> then, you got to write a movie. You know, yeah, there's been lots of life or death situations and lots of, like, the drama always but seems then you, to come then to you us. only ever help, no, you, you only ever help people with the knowledge you have. You're yeah. not just, this isn't just, oh, so I recovered from the, All mm. that you do now is helping others. Mm. And so Equality for Children, what is this... What do you do in mm. this um, work? Okay, so after I had recovered from the eating disorder, we then decided that we really wanted to start making headway on having kids. Wow. And um, we decided we wanted to try some form of IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, after lots of kind of back and forth, we knew nothing about fertility treatment, nothing about IVF, nothing about what was allowed in Ireland, okay. what wasn't. We just, you know, we're like, we want to have a baby. We have two sets of ovaries to you let's do it we just we need a donor like how do we do this and we stumbled upon this thing called reciprocal IVF which is where two women use um, one person's eggs to create embryos and then the other partner carries the embryo okay. so one is the genetic parent one is the gestational oh, gosh, parent okay. or the birth I parent I don't know much about this okay wow so we stumbled upon this and we were like oh my god that's so cool I really wanted the experience of being pregnant I think part of it is tied to having put my body through so much and you know just how incredible my body is and I just I just really wanted that experience yeah, of, of like being, being pregnant yeah. and breastfeeding and just knowing that my body could come it's back strong yeah yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Audrey um, <laughs> if, if you met her she's just not the kind of pregnant okay. type of person she would do it if she had to yeah. is what she says yeah but she loved the idea of being able to give her eggs you know, so that she would be genetically their parent. Um, So we went to a clinic in Ireland and very quickly had that bubble popped because we were told it actually wasn't licensed for in the Irish clinics at that time. So this was 2015. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. 2015, year of the marriage referendum. And we were like, that's ridiculous. If Audrey was a man, I could use an egg donor and use her sperm. Like it was just, it was a ridiculous technicality. But anyways, we couldn't do it and the clinic, they just couldn't help us. So we very quickly, like everything in our life, if we're told no, we just go- Do it anyway. Figure it out. (laughs) We'll go abroad. So we went abroad, we went to Spain initially and went through fertility treatment. Um, As, as you know, you know, it's not a straightforward process. Um, I learned a lot going through that first cycle. Um, it didn't happen immediately. Mm-hmm. I had a chemical pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then very thankfully and luckily became pregnant with our first daughter, Ava, in November of 2015. And so the donor situation is in, that is all set up in Spain, or is mm-hmm. that something you have to do from here? No, so in that our, is dealt with. That. Okay, yeah. Yeah. right. So it's a- big thing it was yeah and it was it was really difficult doing treatment abroad and having no support here not we didn't even know any other same-sex parents we didn't even know people who had gone through IVF like heterosexual couples we knew nothing Well, because nobody talks about everything they do now yeah yeah. but it's all like no we just had a baby yeah 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 yeah. 
So you're there, you get pregnant, so you have your chemical first, which is awful, awfully depressing because you don't know what that is. And you're like, yeah. why is this happening? And yeah, then it's, like it's, you're pre- it's like it's not treated really as a miscarriage. Yeah, and it's like, you're, <clears throat> I always call it a miscarriage because it was. I was pregnant and Absolutely. then I wasn't. It's, it's, it's a goer and then it is and not then a it's goer. Not, and it's you know, really, And really especially hard. when you're testing so early. Oh, gosh. Um, and you see a positive and then... And you're it's showing everyone the positive, strong, yeah. it's getting stronger, and then it's not. No, it's really yeah. hard. Chemical pregnancy is really conflicting. Awful. Yeah. So, so you get pregnant. Pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and up to this point, we were just naive in this, um, you know, that the hurdle was to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Once we had the baby, everything would be fine. I yeah. mean, yeah, we'd, ha- we'd be parents and it'd be hard, but it would be fine. And uh, when we got married when I was five months pregnant. Wow, gosh. So like literally just... just doing all the things, cramming it all in. And when I was about seven, eight months pregnant, we found out that I was going to be considered a single parent when I gave birth because of the current legislation. And we had no idea this was ahead of us. We were not prepared at all. We were like, that is crazy. See, that that doesn't make sense. <coughs> Sorry. I've got a frog. Yeah. You didn't know that going over to Spain. No. So you didn't know you would come back with this big, big hurdle. You didn't no. know that at all. No, we oh had no, gosh. we had no idea. And, you know, we just, we, we grappled with it for a while because we were like that. It just doesn't make any sense. If anyone should be on the birth cert, it should be Audrey because she's the genetic parent, but under Irish law, the woman who gives birth wow. is the biological yeah. mother yeah. end of. Um, so, it was just crazy. I was like, but we're married. Like every other married couple doesn't, you, do, you don't question any other married couple no. of how they had their child. If, no. the, if, if someone is giving birth to a baby and they rock up into the registration unit and they're like, hey, this is the dad. End of, there's no, 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 no genetic no testing. Do you know what I mean? So it just didn't, I was like that, it just doesn't make sense. So I suppose for me that, and for us, that was the start of, the campaigning work. I always call myself um, an accidental activist Amazing. because I don't. I don't even know what the hell activism is. It's you know. It's seen. It's, it's you. Seen, it's, it's you and Audrey. You know. It's but it's seen an injustice and and talking about it and making noise about it and trying to get it changed. So which you did. Yeah. Um, so that was 2016. And, and you have a baby. Yeah, and we have a baby. Which is no joke. So I think the first, you know, magazine cover we did, we did was, you know, December of, you know, it was that year. Yeah. Ava was tiny. And then we went on Ireland AM and we started talking on radio shows and just talking to anyone who would listen. And I started a blog and I started kind of talking more on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff. And that was the beginning of it. Okay. And when that happened, I always said to myself, okay. I'll, sh- I'll make some noise about this. Other people will make some noise about this. And there's no way we'll ever be in the situation that we have our second baby and we'll be yeah. in the same situation again. I was like, no, that will never happen. This will be resolved. Within the year. Absolutely. Fast forward to uh, New Year's Eve 2018. Okay. Ava is two years and three months. And I've just given birth to our second daughter, Aria. In our, this was done in Ireland through. No, nope. no, you had still to go... couldn't, still couldn't do it in Ireland Where'd in 2018. We went, so we actually went back to our clinic in Spain and had unsuccessful treatment, um, a bit of heartbreak, and ended up moving clinic. So we m- moved to a clinic in Portugal. Okay, and we were successful first time, and it was amazing. But we were in the same situation. Ireland still hadn't progressed, so I remember the fireworks going off on New Year's Eve 
like I was getting a blood transfusion <laughs> after losing a lot of blood, wow. newborn, wow. trying to latch a newborn, all of this going on and just being so angry. And it's a shit show, let's be honest. It's a shit show. You have a two and a half, like that is no joke either. Let's just be honest about it. Two kids under a certain, and your blood transfusion, breastfeeding, stress. Audrey had to leave to go get Ava because Ava was really upset. She was with um, my brother and sister-in-law and Audrey had to go comfort Ava. I was left with this newborn and I was just lying there thinking this is like insane. frustrating. That I am still considered a single parent. I am still going to have to be the one to consent to the heel prick test. I'm, you know, just all of it these things. It also gives you, it also besides, right, the fact that it's unfair and inequality, right, be- besides that, it gives, it puts a lot of onus and responsibility and stress on you. I oh my God, say, yeah. It's like, it's all on you, sister. It's all on me. And it's, that's another thing yeah, that we, you know. I'm the one, and we're still trying to get out of that habit where it's, you, it's where it's automatically me that would fill in something for 100%. school or even though Audrey's now the one who's full-time at home with the kids and I'm I'm out working full-time um it's still sometimes like no 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 I don't need to do that you do that you the know rage is so important I talk about this a lot to my friends and my husband and he, he actually agrees I think he used to think I was crazy rage is so important mm. When you get to a stage when you're frustrated about something and you're banging your head against a wall and there's a lot of emotion because sometimes emotion doesn't drive, mm. the rage is so vital to it getting is. a result mm-hmm. because if you don't have that, really you're just basing it off just a lot of kind of scurried like yeah. drama and upset. Yeah. And when you can filter that rage mm-hmm. into something, which is, you know, you've got a newborn and two and a half year old, this is your family, this is your life. You're going to make it happen. So yeah. you filter that rage. Oh, absolutely. I rem- we again were on Ireland AM. Um, I think Aria was a week old and we had a two year old. And honestly, I look back at the footage and I'm like, Jesus, I was a shell of a person. You're a hot <laughs> you mess. Know? You were gorgeous. You're gorgeous. <laughs> um, but I was so angry. You had to do it. Yeah. Started 2019. Mm-hmm. I was so angry. Um, we started a court case. We took a court case against the state and um wow d- really started up again with making a don't lot of noise with this, don't mess with this yeah. lady, this don't mess here. with our kids don't mess with this one yeah yeah that's what it is <laughs> don't mess with our kids and um we we had been talking to lots of other people that year and um you know just trying to figure out how do we move this forward like no one is listening i'd been writing to the minister for health for years i'd been writing to politicians i'd be i'd been tweeting at them i'd been tagging them no one is responding to us all the letters we're getting back are yeah oh you know blah, blah, blah. no one is listening and um i decided to launch a petition and i love this story because you know sometimes people sign petitions and you think they don't do anything like what could they possibly do i started a petition to Simon Harris, who was then the Minister for Health, um, asking him to enact this piece of legislation that had been sitting there since 2015. Now, this is called the Children and Family Relationships Act. It is a piece of legislation um, that has many parts. One of the parts is about donor-conceived children. And it is a piece of legislation that allows for two women to both be on the birth certificate of a donor-conceived child, so long as they meet specific criteria. So it had been passed in 2015, but it had never been commenced because there was lots of problems with it and they had to amend it and just lots of legislative stuff needed needed to happen. So... um, I started this petition saying, Simon Harris, this is my family. Um, I'm a single parent. I'm married. My wife is a biological 
um, mother to our two children. She's a legal stranger to them. Please enact this um, Children Family Relationships Act and please amend it so that it includes all donor conceived children and not just those who meet the very, very, very specific criteria that's line, you know, outlined in it. So I started that petition and literally a couple of hours after it hit 20,000 signatures, I had an email from Simon Harris. Wow. So I have screenshots of like the, the numbers creeping up and up and up. And then a screenshot of the email a couple of hours after. So obviously there were, you know, his people were watching it. And, you know, once it got to a certain wow. number, it was like, we need to you address it. You are some woman. Do you know what? I just... No, that's incredible. It's incredible. That's absolutely outstanding. And for someone, yes, he's a good man and a good person. But yeah. by the same token, he's a politician yeah. with a day-to-day job yeah. in his own life. Yeah. That's wonderful. So that was the first in. So we had arranged a meeting with him for October um, 2019. Right before that happened, all the stars aligned and we had this kind of meetup that we had arranged with um, other uh, queer parents because there was nothing like that. We wanted to widen our circle of people um, and we just kind of wanted to hang, let our kids hang out with with other families. All that done through social media networking? Absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. Um, it was like WhatsApp groups and Instagram. And I was like, hey, we've we've rented out a hall. Come on, you know, Brilliant. let's have tea and coffee. Everyone met up that Sunday morning and that's where Equality for Children wow. happened. It was just very grassroots, very organic. Um, Paula, the uh, CEO of LGBT Ireland was there. You know, she's a same sex parent mm-hmm. uh, with her wife. They have two kids. She was there and we all kind of were chatting and everyone was like, what do we do? Like nothing's happening. Like Renee, you've been shouting about this forever and no one's listening. And we kind of decided, look, collectively they have to listen to us. You know, one person on their own, what is that? But a group of people, you know, an actual organization and we kind of took movement, you know, yeah, we kind of took, you know, inspiration from other movements that have happened recently um, in recent years where big changes happened. And it's always been by people sharing their stories and coming together and, and fighting against injustice. So at that point, our meeting with Simon Harris, I think, was in a week and a half and we formed Equality for Children that day over like a WhatsApp group, <laughs> you know, like, after we went on. It was literally we were like throwing around names. I mean, and it could have been like Renee's people, but you know, you're not. No, a that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, the name, and we had like we had the social handles, we had a website set up. Wow. And so when we went to that meeting with Simon Harris, it was as Equality for Children. So Good. I went, and other members of Equality for Children went, um, and LGBT Ireland came with us also. Um, so that's how it was born, I guess. And it's um, continued and evolved. We'll be coming up on um, our fourth birthday later later on this year. And yeah, it's been busy. It's been very busy because obviously COVID happened right after mm-hmm. we formed. Mm-hmm. And, but I suppose why we exist and we're going to exist until all children of LGBTQ plus families are considered equal and have equal access to both of their parents. Um, and surrogacy is a whole other ball game. Um, I'm going to be speaking to someone in the series mm. regarding that whole issue and recognition. And But you are both recognised. So we are. And this only happened 
in so 2020 we finally got that piece of legislation I was talking about that finally commenced um I will say it's very narrow criteria which we're still this is something we're currently really focusing on so the criteria is that you have to have treatment in an Irish clinic you have to use a certain type of sperm donor that goes on a sperm donor registry and then your child has to be born in Ireland so those are the current criteria so Mm -hmm. anyone listening to this who's thinking of having a child if you want to be both legal parents, you have to go to an Irish clinic and you have to meet all those criteria. And how did you kind of bypass? So we bypassed that because before the legislation came in, there was an amnesty. Okay. So if you if you had done fertility treatment in any clinic, anywhere, mm-hmm. any type of donor, but as long as the child was still born here, you, you had an amnesty and you could go to court. So we had to go to court to get a declaration of parentage, Um, and then had to go back to the registration unit, had to get, you know, it was a whole thing. It wasn't straightforward, but we finally have recognition for our two current children. So I don't want to say congratulations. I do, but I don't because I feel like it should have been a given. Okay, it should have been a given. So by saying congratulations, I'm kind of like, oh, well done. When actually, why is it okay for me to just walk out of my honesty bed and... So, yes, I'm thrilled for you, but it's it must have been frustrating. I want to quickly touch before I get into all this other wonderful stuff. You spoke about the traumas that you suffered regarding eating disorders and having to get therapy, having to go through that, having to get treatment. You've spoken about having to go through IVF in another country. That ain't no joke, right? So we're kind of like, IVF, another, IVF is a hormonal, like it's a, a tricky procedure and it's stressful and it's hard on the body. You've spoken about a court case. You've spoken about... If you are listening to this, you're just like, wow, this woman is a hero. She's a... But there's also a certain, you know, minority who might go, but this is also someone who has privilege, okay? Mm -hmm. There are so many broken people in this country who come from perhaps bad care homes or bad families or bad and have suffered so much abuse right and, and are going through all of these things and we all know that therapy is so vital it is so vital and it's not that easy to access and it's expensive mm-hmm. and we all know that there are people who would like to maybe have a baby on their own or have a baby and that can also be seen as expensive so I'm not saying that you sound like some kind of millionaire but this is, is sometimes hard for people to grasp because it can seem like a privileged mm-hmm. place whereas actually you've probably had to work really hard for all of this Audrey has had to you know work extra but sometimes that can be seen as that and I think it's important for you to kind of relate how tricky all of these things have been yeah absolutely um I mean the court case was you know we didn't fund that we couldn't have taken a court case and funded it um it was taken on the condition that if we won the court case the state would pay their fees you know so we didn't end up paying big legal fee no and we couldn't have done that we would have bankrupted ourselves so um you know and in terms of of all the other like I've taken a lot of time away from my family to do this volunteer work and Audrey has had to pick up the slack like there were times where she was working two jobs at once you know and not being able to be home and and be with me and see the kids and I'm juggling two kids and trying to do an in, like phone in interview and there's kids shouting in the background and I'm thrown on Peppa Pig and so the reality is it's really hard it this was really not hard an easy road you know but what I will say is that I have I, I have huge privilege in even just in in my education and in how I know 
how to stand up for myself and I know how to use my voice and I know how to kind of navigate the system Um, and that in itself has been a huge privilege for me and I don't think that anyone could do that you know would you as much as you had a tricky upbringing or differences with your mom but you loved her so much would you say that she is part of that spirit in you that voice is she a strong absolutely oh my god she's like the strongest she's she's very complicated but she's one of the strongest women I know so she has also given you this voice in a way too absolutely I'm not sure how she'd feel about that. <laughs> yes, but that's so no. But interesting. I know, I know, I know, because it comes from you, and you're saying privilege mm. is education. You learn communication, so you learn all of it. Absolutely right. But it also is it's genetic sometimes. Like there's yeah. a passion and fire yeah. in you, and that comes from somewhere. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, how are the kids? So the kids are great. Um, what age are they now? Six and four. Um, they are typical sisters. They love each other to death. Why are they so cute? They're so cute. They're very cute. We just we just always mm. joke. Actually, one of Audrey's friends texted her the other day saying, "Rooney, you have turbo eggs. <laughs> she has turbo cute. eggs. They're literally so 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 cute." If you don't follow Rennie, I'm sure you will do if you're listening to this. But if you don't follow, like the the crack and the madness and the cuteness and the entertainment, sometimes I need and the reality check. Sorry, also not perfect. Um, but so cute. They're they're very cute, and we're we're very lucky, and we have a lot of fun with them. Like it's very hard to be a parent, um, but we do count ourselves very lucky. We have we have good kids, and they they love life, and we love life with them. Um, and they yeah. understanding your six year old the double cool mom vibes at home. Oh yeah. Is there ever chats about that? Like she's oh, obviously yeah. six, so it's like oh, my yeah. five year old. No, talks. like we've been talking about like how she was conceived since wow. since she could talk. We're, we've we've always been talking about it. Um, she knows that there are lots of different family types. She knows about surrogacy. She, she knows about adoption. She knows about fostering. Yeah. She knows about single parents, blended families. You know, she knows about it all and she knows what her family is. Um, and she's really proud of it. You know, and I think and any kid who asks her, you know, where's your dad? She's like, oh, no, I have two moms. They're like, oh, my God. So cool. Yeah. Two moms. What? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we don't want to say it, but that's so cool. Yeah. So they're good. The family is good. Um, You're thriving. You're doing um, so much wonderful advocacy. I even I even saw you speaking about type 1 diabetes, I think it was regarding your sister mm. and that's something else that you seem to now be advocating for as yeah. well. I didn't know that you were a type 1 diabetic. So I was diagnosed just after I recovered from the eating disorder. Wow. And that was a bit of an ironic universe moment yes. of I'm recovering from one form of like sure. needing to know what I'm eating and da 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 and then oh, here's type 1 diabetes. It's another form of extreme control. Wow. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a big life adjustment. And um, I kind of, we took a year between me being diagnosed and then trying trying to start for IVF because it, it was for me physically and mentally. Um, type one diabetes is an invisible illness. And I think people don't understand how much mental energy goes into it. I have over the years been burnt out so many times just purely because I need to know what I'm eating all the time. I, I carb count, I have to think about, am I sick? Am I hormonal? Am I ovulating? Um, am I excited? You know, adrenaline can spike your, your sugars. Um, and then I need to calculate how much insulin I need and then how much insulin I've already taken because it lasts for four hours. And, you know, it's a constant mathematical juggle. And then if you're dealing with 
anything else on top of that especially kids pulling at you and I have all my my kit I have an insulin pump I have a, a continuous glucose monitor so I have all this stuff attached to me as well and it's constant but because you would never know by looking at me that I'm dealing with this people just take it for granted and it's it's um it can be exhausting like there are days where I just get the most extreme brain fog and tiredness and if I have a low I just completely shut down and my brain can't function and I'm slurring words and you know if you're in work and this is happening and no one can see that it's happening to you um it's it's a lot to deal with if you're someone listening to this and they have type 1 diabetes and they're worried about getting pregnant were was it a huge challenge being pregnant and dealing and monitoring mm. or actually is it not as complicated or is it more complicated it's definitely it more seem scary yeah, it's definitely more complicated i would say um it's not as scary as it seems, but it is more complicated. And in terms of you just have to monitor more. You have to be very aware of your sugars. They don't want you to have high blood sugars because high blood sugars can lead to complications in the pregnancy. So they want you to have really, really tight control. But then having tight control means that you're kind of at risk of having those lows. And those lows are awful. So in my first pregnancy, I was having five or six hypos a day which is a really bad low blood glucose level and what you have to do in that case is have lots of sugar to bring it back up and then it would happen again and more sugar so I was having like just handfuls of jelly beans that I didn't want I wasn't enjoying yeah, yeah, them it's it was like just a fun thing no and then you feel crappy for the rest of the day so that was my first pregnancy and it was very difficult because I was I had only been diabetic for a couple of years at that point I didn't have a pump I didn't have a CGM so the first pregnancy was definitely difficult. And also I didn't know about like my own rights when it came mm -hmm. to being a pregnant person mm -hmm. and, you know, being able to say no and to say, well, actually, no, I don't want to do that. You know, there was a lot of management of me in that pregnancy, mm -hmm. uh, which led to a not so pleasant birth experience first time around. Sounds right. <laughs> Second time around as a diabetic um, and being pregnant, I was on a pump, I was on a CGM, and I knew so much more about my body, how I reacted to pregnancy, and it was just a much, much easier experience. And I was, I was, I knew at that point how to advocate for myself and how to stand up for myself. So the second pregnancy was quite, okay. quite easy, I would say. Okay, so anyone listening, get the right, get the right advice and care about mm. advocate for yourself. I always mm. say this when I was pregnant, I'd probably didn't advocate I don't want to let you go but I have to let you go at some point but I wanted to really quickly do a quick fire at the end so just your first answer that comes to mind because I kind of think it's a nice fun thing to leave us on and um, what a story though I just want to say you have such a soul and spirit and you're the most special person and keep doing what you're doing because we need more of you in this world and um, you're incredible so here we go do your child sleep no, do your never, child sleep? Does never. Your, do your children sleep? They do not. They, I, we haven't slept in six years. Good, because yeah. someone said yes. Or yes. Um, I hate are, that person. Are we too <laughs> child centric? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Happiest recent memory? Um, our kids finding out that there's a baby in my tummy. Best thing about children? How fun they are and how they make you feel like a kid again. Favorite thing to do on your own? Read. Um, a hero of yours? This is a bit corny, but my wife just kind of putting Cute. up, putting up with me, saving my life multiple times. And finally, <laughs> Renee, biggest fear for your kids. Oh, there's too many. There's too many. But biggest fear probably is just that they would 
not be themselves and not not be happy in life you know thank you so much thank you i hope you enjoyed this episode of a little birdie told me and if you did it would be wonderful if you could subscribe to the podcast